We are continuing our series here, The Prayers of Paul, and we find ourselves in uh, Colossians chapter 1. There, there's some like really clear echoes of and, and almost exact parallels with Ephesians 1, the passage from last week. And, and there will be, because I think it's helpful for us, uh, some overlap as we talk about praying for knowledge, praying for power, and doing so with thanksgiving. Those are the three points this morning. Uh, prayer, for knowledge, for power, with thanksgiving. But we're going to focus on chapter on verses 9 through 14, as verses 3 through 8 do focus on some of the things that we talked about last week. We, we will look at that a little bit. But this idea of knowledge and power, uh, in a world where we would love more knowledge and power in all kinds of areas, right? I mentioned last week some of our travel woes, and so it means that uh, I'm, I'm more likely to click on a headline that has something to do with travel, right? So I read an article this week in the news about a, a woman who had her daughter's bag lost. So shared, they're traveling from Denver to Baltimore. Her daughter plays lacrosse, and you've got this kit in there that includes all of her gear, and it's hard to replace because you have to break it in or all this kind of stuff, right? So it's, it's not just we want the money. So the bag is lost, but there's always that that question of where is the bag, right? If you've ever had a bag loss, it's where is the bag? And now we have this, this device that helps us with the knowledge of where the bag is, right? Air tags or tiles, this thing that this woman knew where the bag was. She could see, we connected to Chicago, it's in Terminal 1. I have the knowledge, I know where the bag is, can you please help get the bag? They, they couldn't. Uh, she's on phone with multiple people. We, we can't call Chicago. So they're like, we cannot communicate to the people in Chicago that your bag is there. This is what she was told multiple times. Like, I've got the knowledge, but not the power to do something with the knowledge, right? So she ends up, because she has the knowledge, she puts it uh, into action. She flies herself to Chicago. And after many phone calls with United, she shows up to bag claim there. And she says within 30 seconds of showing up, she gets her bag. Right, so uh, she actually put the knowledge that she had into action, got her bag back. Uh, after um, CNN uh, contacts United, they finally reimburse her mileage that she used to fly there, right? Like all this crazy stuff, right? Um, and, and this is just the, on, on one level, like just maddening. But uh, on another level, it, it's also relatively small in comparison to the injustices and brokenness in this world and our own hearts that, that sometimes we don't have full knowledge of. So like thinking about our own lives and being able to grasp the, the, the knowledge of what's happening in our own hearts and with our own emotions. And I, I used to think as a kid, you know, we'll, we'll get through and I'll be a grown up and I'll be past puberty and all this, all these change, all this stuff. And I'll be, have enough experience that then I'll know kind of what's going on in my heart and in my emotions and in my mental state and all of that. And I'll have an idea of what's going on in the world. And sorry, kids, that's not the way it works. Uh, as an adult, it's like I wish I knew more and understood more about myself, but also the world around me, right? Uh, and the mess and, and then was able to do something about it. And so that happens in all kinds of really significant ways in the world. And Paul here is praying with this recognition of the power of God. We talked about this last week. He goes in knowing this big picture of the power of God, and he prays to that God who has his power for particular things in a way that we can learn from that. And we can pray these things, and we can see what becomes primary. He's praying for the church 
in, in the early church, they're experiencing terrible things. They, they are experiencing persecution and chaos in ways that we don't understand. It was incredibly socially negative to be a follower of Jesus. And, and he's not praying for those circumstances to change. He's not praying for a, a better political system, and their political system was horrible. He wasn't praying that they wouldn't suffer the persecution. He's praying for these things. And that doesn't mean that we don't pray for some things to change. So we, we recognize James 5 calls us to pray for the sick and to trust God that he, he might work and change things through our prayers. But that's not where Paul begins here. He begins in a different place, praying for knowledge, praying for power, and doing so with thanksgiving. Let, let me pray, and we'll look at his prayer. Lord, we do come before you now. We recognize that you are the creator, the one with all power and might, that you invite us into your presence. We pray that you would shape us through your word this morning, that you would shape us continually through our own prayers and the prayers of one another for us uh, and for each other. We ask, Lord, that, that you would work in beautiful and powerful ways that surprise us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that we find here in these unceasing prayers, that's a theme that's continued in, in Paul's prayers. Verse 9, we have not ceased to pray for you. In these unceasing prayers, we are learning what those prayers look like. Um, again, we talked about some of this last week, even the knowledge and prayer, but we're going to overlap some with that, but see some different angles on it as well. For knowledge is the first thing that, that Paul prays for. Uh, if we're looking at verses 9 through 14 specifically, he prays, for knowledge. And he's praying, I think it's helpful for us to note, for the church in Colossae. He is praying for those who are already followers of Jesus, for those who have already experienced trust in him and therefore the forgiveness of sins. We'll get to that in verse 14. But this is who he's talking to. to he has told us in verse 2, it's to the saints, that's just Christians, that's followers of Jesus, and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So he's talking to Christians here, and this is, to be clear, for all Christians, for all followers of Jesus. He's not praying these things just for the leaders or the really spiritual people. He's, he's praying for these things, for the growth and knowledge, for every single person who trusts in and looks to Jesus. And, and our hope here at Fountain Square Prez is that if you don't already look and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, our prayer is that you will. I, I, we're glad that you're here if you don't yet follow Jesus, but we hope that you do, that you will experience this transfer that's referred to in verse 13 from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, where there is redemption and the forgiveness of sins. This thing that, that we all need to fix that brokenness that is within us. The fact that things are not the way they're supposed to be in our own hearts and, and lives. The reason that we need to confess our sin as we do each week. But for those of us who do trust, then there is this prayer that we would be filled with knowledge, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. There is a desire that there would be this growth in knowledge of who God is and how he has revealed himself, his will. And to be clear, when the Bible talks about the will of God, he has revealed his will. There is not this picture of some secret will of God, and if only I knew what his will for my life was. That, and we think of it in terms of 
the person that I'm going to marry or the place that I'm going to live or the job that I'm going to take or the school that I'm going to get into, if I could just figure out God's secret will for me, that's not how the Bible talks about the will of God. It talks about his, he has revealed himself, both who he is and, and how he wants us to live in the word that he's given us. And so his revealed will is here. And, and the prayer for Paul is that we would grow in our knowledge of that, an increase in knowledge. He picks up on the idea at the end of verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And this picture of increasing is this journey that we're on as followers of Jesus, that it's going to grow through time. I, I, I'm going to do this even though I, I didn't talk to Emily. Uh, she shared with me this week, Mark comes back next week, the 15th, is that right? But Emily got to go and be with Mark for a few weeks in Alexandria, Egypt. And Mark is pastoring this, this little English-speaking church in Alexandria uh, for the summer while their pastor has been back in the States on uh, a missionary assignment or furlough or whatever his organization calls it. And, uh, and one of the things that stood out to me about what Emily said is they have this really beautiful congregation of, of uh, English speakers, but most of them are from sub-Saharan Africa. And if, if you know anything about where the church is going and growing, it's really growing in parts of Asia and sub-Saharan Africa and South America, much more than it is in the West. And the thing that typified that the thing that stood out to Emily about that is that they are all dying to be together and to learn and to grow in their knowledge of the will of God in ways that like challenge me just to hear this little story that challenges, wait, is that, does that drive me in the way that it drives them? And the, the, the picture that we find in scripture should be a challenge to every single one of us that that absolutely should be something that drives us to grow in the knowledge of his will. And to recognize that it doesn't always drive me. And so I'm challenged. I hope that we're, what is it, what would it look like to pursue that more? What would it look like? Uh, and, and let me encourage you that part of that is certainly joining together with the worship of God's people. And, and I hope that he works through the, the sermon and through the songs. But, you know, are there books that you would read? Are there things that you would want to study as a, as a community group? Are there uh, are there other things that you might want to take advantage of? The Sunday school that we'll be starting up in, in September, the praying together on Sunday mornings at 940, which is going to happen for the rest of this month. Like, would those become something that we would pursue? Something that might become a priority for us? Because most often, even spiritual things, we might get a little bit on Sunday and, and maybe a little bit at, at community group. And then we think about the, the, the things that really matter in life and we're really hear more from, uh, from podcasts or tuning into the radio a little bit here or there, or a little video uh, on the YouTubes or whatever it might. We don't really take time to say, how can I learn about these things from uh, God's revealed will? What would it look like for us to prioritize growing in knowledge? A knowledge that, to be clear, is typified with spiritual wisdom and understanding. So it's not just intellectual assent. He goes on to talk about this knowledge. It comes in spiritual wisdom and understanding there. That that, that is an important dynamic. That it's not just something that we know, it's something that shapes the way that we live. When we went through the Psalms over multiple summers a number of years ago, we talked about the fact that wisdom is the art of godly living. It's not just, okay, I know this, and then I'm good to go. It is this recognition that 
that as we grow in wisdom and knowledge, then we know how to apply it to life in, in ways that the Bible doesn't always say this happens and then you do this. There's a lot of things that we have to bring spiritual wisdom to the table. And so this question of how these things might play out, they matter deeply. And, and we remember from Ephesians 1 that this knowledge that we're invited into, and it's not just in Ephesians 1, but there is this invitation to have knowledge of him, this relational knowledge. We're invited into the revelation of his will, which also reveals him. We're invited into that relationship so that it plays out in our lives. And then even that knowledge and that spiritual understanding, that wisdom, then leads to something else. What does he say in verse 10? It starts with, after he's prayed for this growth in knowledge, so as, so as to. It it, it leads to something to say that, that I am going to pray that you would have knowledge so as, so that your knowledge would lead to something in particular. What does it lead to? That you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, continuing, increasing in the knowledge of him. So there's this idea that, that it changes our lives. So that it changes the way that we live, that you would walk in a particular way, walk in a manner worthy of him in a way that pleases him. It actually would change our, our lives. And this idea of walking, this is very, for, for Paul, this very Jewish theme of there is a journey of walking with the Lord, of living with him, that there is, there's more and more living unto him. It's not just, okay, life changes and then everything is, is static from that point on. No, walking with the Lord, following him, it's this journey that we're continually on. And so this idea of a life pleasing to him, worthy of him, is, is a challenge to think about growing in that way. Not that we get it right this side of heaven. I mean, we, we live in a world where things are not the way that they're supposed to be where we are not the way that we're supposed to be. And and there actually in scripture is a promise that that will only fully change when Jesus returns and makes all things right. And that is a promise on the table. But in the meantime, we grow in that direction and we make mistakes in that direction, right? And then we need the forgiveness that is offered in verse 14, the redemption that is offered in verse 14. But it does mean that we move in this direction. And so that our goal might be what... If, if we were to be making decisions in our lives, what, what if our goal was pleasing him? What if that was our first goal? Because often our culture today would say that the most important thing is that you're happy. And, and, and the best thing that you could hope for somebody else is their happiness. And that happiness is most often defined in a very specific way. And that is free from discomfort or free from hard things. That, that's kind of the story that we're told. That's often what my own heart wants, right? And... And that's not what we're called to in Scripture. There's a recognition that things are going to be difficult. There is, however, this picture of something that I think the Bible describes as deeper than happiness, which is joy. So when there's this prayer in a moment that we'll talk more about, the endurance and patience, it comes with joy, verse 11. So there, there is a call to that, but there is this invitation to, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, seeking to, to please him. There's an invitation here to say, as you're spending your money, 
as you're making your decisions about your job or where you live or who you might be in relationship with or how you, how you might live in this world, is, do we ask the question, what, what is pleasing to the Lord? That's what Paul is praying for, and that it then leads to bearing fruit, this scriptural theme that occurs in multiple places, this idea that uh, if, if we are in Christ, if he is the one that we're attached to, it gives us life in such a way that fruit is born, that our, our life looks a particular way, that it reflects following him. And he's noted already that in verse 6 that they have borne fruit, that the whole world is actually bearing fruit and increasing. And, and this is true of them as well. But he's here praying that they would bear more fruit, that there would be this growth, this journey, this walk, often described in Scripture as sanctification, that is more and more putting to death sin and brokenness and more and more living to Christ and righteousness. But it is a a journey. And so this is what he's praying for, this knowledge unto a changed life. But a recognition that to, to be able to do that, to be able to apply this knowledge in a way that does change life, requires his power. Because it's not something that we can do on our own. It's not something that we can just muster up. And if I do the right things, then I'll be a part of the people of God. Then he'll love me. Then he'll care for me. Then he'll forgive me. No, the picture is we actually need his power to save us. And we need his power to sanctify us, to make us more like him. And so Paul prays for power. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And we find here, just as he prayed that we'd be filled with knowledge here, that there is this be strengthened with all power. It's a prayer that God would do it. There's passive language here that God would fill with knowledge, that God would strengthen us with his power. This is why it's prayer. It's why it's looking to him and trusting in him. And, And so then he prays for all power with the might of God. Paul is very aware of how powerful God is both Old Testament God who created the world, who saved his people with 10 plagues, who split the seas to allow them to safely escape slavery, who shows up on Mount Sinai in so much power that they are overwhelmed by his glory, recognizing that it would destroy them all if they saw it in its fullness. That power is the power that he's praying for. That In Ephesians 1, he talked about raised Jesus from the dead that set him at the right hand to reign and rule over all things. That is the power that he's praying for here. And so what does he pray that that power would accomplish in their lives? Think about all the things. You you have access to all that power. What do you pray for? What's the thing that that you're going to ask God to do? Look at what Paul prays for. It's not where my mind would initially go. That you might be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I mean, honestly, there's some level of like, (laughs) when that's that's what I'm praying for. No, I I want change and I want things. I want justice and I want all these things. And and we, we, again, could pursue those things and even pray for those things. But that's not where he starts. He starts with endurance and patience in the midst of a world that is not as it's supposed to be. In the midst of ourselves, not being as we are supposed to be, full of chaos within ourselves, a world full of chaos. And what does he pray for? He recognizes that that is the reality, and he prays that they would, in the midst of that, experience endurance and patience 
with joy and the recognition that if we're going to endure and we're going to be impatient in the midst of this world that is not the way it's supposed to be, it will take the power of God to bring that to bear in our lives. But that we would pray that and look to him and know that as the one who created us, the one who has this power, that he does know what's best for us and that this is a beautiful and right prayer to pray that we would pursue this in our lives, that we would want this. We think about power, and the power is ultimately the power to affect change, whether it's our own lives or in the lives around us, that we would want the power of God first and foremost to, to live in the world in which he's created us, to experience him, the knowledge of him, the application of him, to be able to do that with endurance and patience, with joy in the midst of the fact that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. That's not where I start with my prayer. I I need this challenge to pray in this way. To not begin by wanting things to change or to be easy. And and I believe that if we were to actually pray in this way, it would shape the way that we think about patience and endurance in our own lives. It would shape the way that we think about the world around us. It wouldn't make us okay with those things. And it actually, we, we find throughout Scripture, moving us to live out a life that is pleasing to him, it does actually affect change. It does actually call us to be a part of bringing justice and righteousness to bear in our lives and in the lives of others. But it has to start with being rooted in who he is and the fact that he is in control. Because if we don't start there, I will guarantee that we're going to be overwhelmed. I mean, I, I gave this... this uh, Illustration, it's not an illustration, just like this example before of, of watching this video about AI and all the things that are happening with AI and, and the potential places that it could go. And it is terrifying. I mean, just, you know, that's just the reality. It's terrifying, but probably not any more terrifying than all of the brokenness that exists in this world, in this globalized world where we can see the brokenness that exists, not just next door, but all around the world. And we can talk about human trafficking and wars and drugs and all of the things that exist, that, that it's overwhelming. But the promise here is that there's a God who has power, who's inviting us with patience and endurance to look to him, to trust in him, to find his power, and then to live in a way that is pleasing to him, and that we will then, in those moments, see justice and righteousness move forward. But we have to begin in that place. If we pray in that way, it will shape our own hearts. It will be a part of allowing that power to bring about patience and endurance in our own hearts and lives. Finally, we see that he, he does this, this praying with thanksgiving. And, and this, is, this is key. He's already started, again, as a reminder, verse 3 through 8, or about this thanksgiving. Uh, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So he's already begun with thanksgiving, but he picks up on that theme again in verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father. And he's giving thanks because, again, he's praying to the church. He's praying to those who are following Jesus. He knows, actually, that there is already a knowledge and power that they have embraced and experienced. So he's not saying, if you get enough knowledge, if you get enough power, then you're going to be good to go. No, he's, he's saying this is a part of the journey. You already have some level of this, right? He's giving thanks for that. They already have knowledge, the truth of the gospel mentioned in verse 5. 
They have already embraced the truth of the gospel. That, that beautiful message that there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. That, that only Jesus, through the work on the cross, can bring about our salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, that we might be drawn into the people of God and have right relationship with our creator. That's the God. They've already embraced that reality. And it's already borne fruit in their lives. He's already mentioned in verse 6 that they have borne fruit. And not only there, but they're seeing that fruit being borne out in all of the world, right? At this point in, in Jerusalem, in Syria, in Asia Minor, in Greece, in Italy, and likely Egypt, in North Africa, in Persia. Those, all those places, the gospel has begun to, to bear fruit. And we see that now around the world, there is fruit being born in those who are followers of Jesus. So he's acknowledging and giving thanks to the fact that there has already been a working of God in the lives of his people. And he notes the power that has been at work as well. I mean, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All of this is, is the power of God to deliver we who have rebelled against God and exist in the, what is described as the domain of darkness to transfer us into the kingdom of his beloved son. The kingdom, the place where Jesus reigns and rules and promises to make all things right. That is where we find forgiveness of sins. That is all the power of God. We, the, the gospel is so clear that we don't have that power in ourselves, that he has accomplished it for us. The power of God is already at work in their lives. And so to pray these things is just to pray for, for more. And so our prayer could be either, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, that this prayer, that these things would grow. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we're praying that you would trust in him and find redemption, the forgiveness of your sins. But we have to start with this reality first, embracing this gospel message first. And that we then allow that to play out in our lives and fruit is born, that the Bible describes a, a tree that is healthy, that has life, is one that bears fruit. So if you go to our front yard, there, is two, there are two apple trees, and they desperately need to be trimmed. But they are producing fruit, right, because that they're apple trees. But if they died at their root, they would stop producing fruit, right? And, and our temptation might be, in that moment... To say that, well, that doesn't look very good. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to buy a bushel of apples, and I'm going to go staple them on the tree. And then from a distance, for a short period of time, it might look much better. But it won't take much time at all before that fruit will, uh, will rot. And there's nothing changed about the tree, right? But this is, this is what we typically do. We fruit staple. We, we, we think that... We can make our lives okay by doing the right things. Maybe it's even getting the right knowledge. Or maybe it's, this, this is actually most religions in the world. If I can just do the right things, then I'll be the right kind of tree. And, and the tree described as one who has life in our creator. But that's not how it works. And we make a mistake if we think that we can staple enough fruit onto the tree to, to make it healthy and right and alive. And we cannot. We must be changed from the inside. And that is the power of God. And when we live out of that, then we're able to move forward praying for ourselves, 
for one another, that we would experience more and more of his knowledge, more and more of his power, and that it would change us, that it would allow us to live in this broken world in a way that brings life, in, in a way that is worthy of him, that, that pleases him. We can only do that by his power. I pray that we trust in him for that and, and realize again and again we can't do it on our own.